Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bound. Eurovision is a mainstay in any cultural calendar worth its salt. And while we may still have to wait a couple of months before the flashy maelstrom of glitter, pyrotechnics and questionable dance moves returns to our screens, in the meantime, the format is heading stateside. The cheese is getting sliced, wrapped and it's Crayola yellow. This week, American Song Contest comes to NBC in what promises to be a spin-off of Dazzling Proportions. Hosted by Kelly Clarkson and Snoop Dogg, there'll be performances from all 50 US states, as well as five US territories and Washington, D.C. As part of an exclusive partnership with Atlantic Records, the original songs featured on the series will also be released in weekly batches, and the competition will consist of three rounds over eight weeks. There are plenty of undiscovered upstarts on the show, as we'd expect, as well as some big hitter names, Macy Gray, Jewel, Cisco, and Michael Bolton. Amongst them, Michael Bolton. So how will the 65-year-old institution, possibly the campest post-war peacekeeping mission the world could dare to imagine, translate when it crosses the Atlantic? Well, I'm joined today to discuss this by Emily Yar, an entertainment reporter with the Washington Post, and by Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Among his other responsibilities, he is, of course, our official Eurovision correspondent. Let's hear the trailer first to give us a flavour of American Song Contest. Every great song has its own kind of vibe, just like the streets they come from. Now all that music from across America will go head-to-head on one stage. Every state and territory will compete live for your votes. In the biggest televised music event you've ever seen. America's next great hit could come from your hometown. Emily, lovely to have you on the programme, a new recruit to Monocle on Culture. Lovely to have you here. So first of all, we kind of got ourselves a little bit in the mood with that clip of the trailer. Do Americans, though, care about Eurovision? I would say that probably a lot of Americans are not aware of Eurovision. They don't follow it very closely. But the Americans that do are really, really into it. There has definitely been more of an audience in the last few years because it, uh, in 2016 it became available on American TV so people could watch it. Um, then it started streaming. So I think it definitely has picked up a lot of new fans over recent years. And again, the, the ones that follow it, um, it's all you see that weekend on social media. Just everybody tweeting about it and sharing all of their opinions. You see so many videos. So yeah, the ones that watch like get really into it. And just so we know, what is the tone of the kind of what is the tone of the kind of media stream? Is it kind of is it a bit of a Mickey take? Is it a piss take? I mean, there are we will definitely come on to this and we mentioned it in the introduction. But it's it's a song contest that sometimes takes itself so seriously that it's camp. And sometimes it just is camp and silly and and very frilly. Is this kind of what Americans like or don't like about it? Oh, I think it's what they really enjoy about it. I mean, I almost sense like a tone of jealousy a little bit because some of the <laughs> performances are just such spectacles. And it's something you don't really see here a lot on our singing competitions, like on American Idol or The Voice. Um, it doesn't really reach that level of camp. So yeah, people just have so much fun with it. And you kind of get the sense of people being like, I kind of wish we had that here. Yeah. I mean, Fernando, you should tell listeners actually, first of all, Lovely to have you on the programme, as ever, by the way. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) How many Eurovisions have you covered for Monocle? 
I've covered seven, actually. So I've been from cities like Malmo in Sweden to Copenhagen. The last one I've attended was uh, 2019 in Tel Aviv, which was which was wonderful. So it's kind of it's a nice excuse to visit different European country every year as well, Rob. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. You've got some good stamps in your passport, just simply simply down to your revision. Exactly. Um, what about it? What about seeing it on NBC? What about the hosts? What about the kind of the extravaganza moving stateside? It feels that, you know, we, we, we inherit so much of our kind of big entertainment formats and extravaganzas from the US. What about us selling them one or the, the European Broadcasting Commission or whatever it is selling one? Are you excited about, about this one? I am excited and, and I agree with Emily. I think American TV needs a little bit more of this camp element because they have their own competitions, American Idol, The Voice, but it is a little bit too serious. It is sometimes just about The Voice. It does take itself quite seriously and that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with Eurovision. The quirky element, it's amazing. I mean, you have, you know, Aneta with Toy, the winning song in 2018. She was doing some strange chicken noises with an electro beat in the background. And anyone, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. And of course, you have beautiful ballads as well, like Salvador Sobral. And, and what I like about it, Rob, is the geopolitical aspect as well, because it is countries voting for countries. And I think that's something new as well in the US, because... We're going to see, like, new, are the New Yorkers going to vote for Californians and vice versa? Or they just really care about the music? Or is it going to be a little bit political as well? I, I'm very curious to see how the show will will sound, actually. So I, I'm curious. I, I, I don't know yet what to expect, but uh, I think it's certainly a, a very interesting proposal from the Eurovision Song Contest team as well. Yeah, well, I'm sure we will come on to the voting. I wanted, I want to park the, <laughs> the always controversial voting block discussion. Uh, we'll, we'll come to that in a minute. But um, Emily, do you know how the program will be kind of Americanized, other than with its hosts and the fact that it's not a one-night extravaganza as it is in Europe? It's a, uh, as we said, it's got an eight-week run or so. Do you know how it will be? Yeah, sort of how how it will be recognizably an American thing rather than a European format with American kind of stars in it. It's a good question. I mean, I think one of the big differences is there won't be any voting on the people who are participating beforehand. Like it, it is selected by the show, the producers, Atlantic Records, I think is going to have a big part since they're the partner with NBC who will release all the songs after. So it's not every artist, but if you see a few uh, Atlantic artists, um, that's probably not a surprise. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I have been wondering like what elements they're also going to borrow from shows like The Voice and American Idol that have worked really well for American audiences and tried to bring it over um, to this new show and how much they're going to borrow for your vision. So I can just see it being like a really interesting mix. Yeah. I mean, there's a funny thing. We sort of sort of thought about... Um... You know, there being Macy Gray and Cisco and Michael Bolton, bless his, bless him, turning up on the American uh, American Song Contest, but then ABBA and Cliff Richard and people who had big careers obviously represented their countries in Europe as well. So it doesn't feel like the stars are simply being bolted on in case you don't like someone you've never heard of from Nebraska, right? It's definitely bringing over a flavour of of the original kind of European concept. There's no bar on who can who can compete, professional or or amateur, I suppose, right? 
Yeah, and I think that was something that Americans that aren't familiar with Eurovision were kind of taken aback when they saw the the list when it came out. You know, you see a lot of names you don't know, but then you see Cisco and Jewel and Macy Gray and yeah, and Michael Bolton was, was a big one. And everyone's like, what is going on here? But right, that's the, the same thing with Eurovision, even if viewers here don't really know it. But I think like that mix of famous singers really helps. Like I, I embarrassed to say, I did not know Cisco had Maryland ties, even though I live in that um, in that area. So I think sort of the shock of seeing that will like also get some people to tune in to just like see what this even is. It's been sold in the, the press release and things as combining elements of like American Idol and the voice with supporting your favorite sports team. I mean, this is obviously something that Americans are super good at, not just TV, but supporting sports teams and the kind of the televised, you know, the televised nature of sports games as well. So there's something about being partisan that is fun, right? So you can support Maryland, you can support New York State or California, as Fernando was saying, and it's kind of a bit of fun. I mean, I guess in Europe, we obviously, I guess we support our home side, but we also have a soft spot because this year Cyprus have got a wonderful song or something like that, something that we would never have necessarily have thought about before. How easy, though, Emily, is it for someone from Maryland to support someone from South Dakota? Is that is does that come naturally to your, your brethren? I think it could. I mean, this is something I'm just so interested in seeing because things are divided so politically right now, like to see if someone from right, like New York would vote for someone from Texas. I could definitely see that becoming a big part of this um, just because things are so heated right now. But I also think musical taste is different so much, um, you know, depending on where you're from. Like I write a lot about country music. I've always loved it. And people are often surprised that I'm from Washington, D.C. and I listen to country music. And, you know, we there are going to be several country stars, you know, from the Midwest and some southern states that I saw on the list. So, yeah, I think there will be some state loyalty, but um, but I could easily see people voting for others. Just yeah. And Fernando, I mean, you mentioned Toy. You mentioned this this electro song with these kind of like <laughs> chicken occasional chicken noises we should say it's not all sung in chicken patois but can you see a home for the gimmicky song i mean there have been so many kind of what we'd call kind of ditties right kind of little earworms that have become you know you know what it's like going to a, a like a, a disco in a ski resort or a slightly cheesy spanish t- tourist destination the music is kind of of a particular type right there is a lot of a lot of fast electronic beats but it's not what you call electro music. Can you see the kind of gimmicky song, the kind of silly songs kind of taking flight in the US? I think there will be some, but not as much as uh, our very own Eurovision Song Contest. I had a look at some of the contestants in the States. There are clearly some surprises. For example, I know that Oklahoma is sending Alexa and she she's kind of a K-pop singer. So I think that, that was quite nice. That was quite interesting. I want to know how Oklahoma does K-pop in a way. But, you know, but there's a lot of genres that you don't see at Eurovision at the same time. Of course, because the U.S. has a different music culture, you, you're definitely going to see more hip-hop and country, which will be interesting. Of course, we have in Europe as well, but much less. Uh, but I am waiting for some, I don't know, who knows, maybe Iowa, uh, Elizabeth von Presley. She's a pink head, kind of Lady Gaga-esque vibe. You know, who knows? She might go kind of super wild. And I definitely support that. 
Yeah, so you've you've done a bit of research, Faye, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I had a quick look, yes. And you've had a bit of a look at sort of who might be the kind of, yeah, the, the sort of the outside bet for this, I suppose, right? So so it's really interesting, as you said, Oklahoma having a K-pop star. One of the things that is kind of charming about the Eurovision Song Contest as well, although lots of people sing in English because it sounds kind of like pop music, in inverted commas, it's nice hearing people singing in Greek or in French or in Dutch, right? I wonder how this will be replicated. Are we just going for some real accents here? Are we are we pitting the the the, the East Coast accent against against, as Emily says, like the the Texan accent? Is that where you think the difference will come out? Who knows, Rob? For example, if you look at the Arizona uh, contestants, uh, Las Marias, they're twins, and they're gonna they sing kind of mariachi kind of regional songs from Mexico. I wonder if their song could be in Spanish. I think that could be quite interesting as well, you know, to add kind of a, a different language uh, to the show as well. And I, and I have to say, because I, I told you about hip hop and country, which is great, very strong genres, but I was missing a little bit of electronica. But I think Nevada might deliver that with the Crystal Method, which is also quite a, a well-known uh, artist already. But mm. You know, the, the, it's interesting to see at this the states at this at this moment. But we have to say we don't know uh, the tracks yet. They will be released each week. So, um, but yeah, I cannot wait. I'm very anxious to hear all of them. And Rob, we were talking there about the contestants, but it was quite interesting to know how actually they chose some of the contestants. So I also had, you know, the pleasure uh, to speak with two of the producers of the American Song Contest. They are Anders Lenhoff and Christer Bjorkman. <laughs> Welcome to Monaco 24 to Anders Lenhoff and Christer Bjorkman. We're here to talk about the American Song Contest. First of all, I want to know your connections with the Eurovision world. I know, for example, you, Christer, you you were a former Eurovision contestant. Okay, so my history starts as a viewer, as a kid, way back. Then I competed for Sweden in 1992. And then I became a producer of the Swedish Selection Show in 2001. So I spent 20 years doing that. And during those 20 years, I also had the honor of producing the contest of the Eurovision five times. And then I dragged this man into it uh, in 2017 to help me sort out the Eurovision in Ukraine. So my story is a lot shorter. Yes, I did watch it as a kid. Did I want to perform? No. I've been a TV, I'm sort of, a, I'm more of a generic TV person. I've been in television as a director, scriptwriter, and producer since the early 90s. I co-produced Melody Festival in Sweden with Christopher in 2015. That's sort of when I entered that world. Uh, I did that as an, an, as an admirer, I have to say. I think that what Christopher did for the Swedish show was outstanding i mean it still is the by far the biggest show and the most spectacular and that came out of a period of being not so great and it was completely turned around so i really enjoyed doing that and then one day krista calls me and says can you can you come visit <laughs> uh which ended up with me being a show producer for eurovision 2017 and then out of that actually was this project born in some ways, because this came out of post drinks with me, Krista and Ola Melsig, who was also in Kiev, just talking about things we'd like to do. 
somebody came up with shouldn't eurovision be in the us no you you said that and and i was like yeah right and then he he would just wouldn't give up he just kept on talking about it and and then he's like oh well let's do it that's sort of what happened <laughs> yeah right <laughs> how challenging it is to make the american song contest because you both come from kind of an european perspective because of your vision how challenging is this adaptation to the american market i think you, you both answers are good but definitely we had to make some adjustments but not not as much because of the market i would say it's more about having a very very old format that has been around for such a long time it it has a lot of elements in it that you have to question you know it's like would this work if you do it from the beginning now and the answer sometimes is no one it's not necessary two it's a bit old fashioned you don't have to do it that way so it was very much about turning every stone and looking at each and every segment of the show to see is it feasible today or can we do it in another way that feels more modern more up to date and also in the tempo of today because a lot of things i mean you know you could question if it's okay to listen to 42 stars stealing time from the show talking about themselves when actually all we need to know is who wants to have the 12 points that's that's all we want but we get a lot of other stuff as well and it takes about an hour and that is not how you do modern tv as chris said i mean it's like i don't think you could make eurovision happen in europe today if it hadn't been around 65 years and that's that's the challenge right because eurovision hasn't been around in the us they haven't had anything even remotely like it so you have to adjust it to make it sure that it actually works and it's also from a commercial standpoint sellable i mean so eurovision being up turning every stone but eurovision is three shows in one week uh, that doesn't work in the, the tv landscape if you if you want a big network like nbc to put this show on it needs to it's not like they have blank spaces in their programming they're going to take something away in this case the voice one season of the voice and they're going to replace that with something with the new thing in this case us meaning we need to this needs to be a season. So it's eight shows instead of three, it's eight weeks instead of one. And that's some of the adjustments you need to do, hopefully to make it better, but also to make it happen. Also, this is a big country and to get room with all the states and the territories, you need a longer period of time. Yep. And one thing that I think would be very interesting for the American audience is that there's no competition like this in the country where they can be proud about their state, you know, like state against state, uh, like, you know, like this political side that we see on Eurovision as well. You are so right. You're so correct. <laughs> it's, it's actually incredible when you when you start listening to all these artists that, that have been selected, when they talk about their home state or their parents home state or where they went to college or whatever you know that the love is genuine and the pride is genuine they they are really really you know so happy to be part of this and to be able to represent their state it's very it's very beautiful to see you're so right on the money <laughs> it's like, 
it's one of the things that's been issued that's been said so many times during this process and that's also why we get artists on an entirely different level than the talent show because it's not a talent show right it's about representing your home it's not about becoming an artist it's about being an artist be there to make because you're proud to represent maine or make the people of maine pride that proud that you're representing them who helped picking the artist? I was looking at the lineup. Fascinating. You have uh, a K-pop artist from Oklahoma. You also have big names like Michael Bolton. It's actually a long process. It starts with a professional casting team. It's actually the same team that is responsible for the selection of, of the voice. So they have a lot of experience and they are sort of 17 to 20 people. And what they did is they, they we had an open submission. So we had like 7,000 songs submitted with artists. And they made a shortlist for each and every state and territory between five and 10 acts on each. Then all this was handed over to a group of uh, industry uh, professionals, radio programmers, publishers, and label A&Rs, basically. They then came back and gave their view on each and every of these songs, you know, when it, in terms of hit potential, originality, and all that. And then it was handed over to the production and NBC, who did the final selection in the end. So it's a long, long process, and a lot of people have put their mind into it. So very thorough. And to your point, like everybody could apply and everybody did. Yeah. It's, it's uh, everybody from the unknowns to the really well-knowns. So as long as they heard about the show, there was a tremendous interest to be there. And not, and I think that's because it's different too. It's not But just, it's all, you know. also interesting that you mentioned the, the K-pop girl from Oklahoma. She, that's such a fascinating story because she sort of is... Oklahoma. She was the cheerleader in school. She did the whole American thing, but she's half Korean. And when she's finished school, she just took off to go see, you know, where her other part of her, what that was like. And she made it big in Korea. And she's like, you know, she's got one foot in cheerleader in the America and she's got the other in the K-pop and, and she's great. She's fantastic. And she's so Oklahoma, but she's not at the same time. She's so fascinating. She's so, she's so representing Oklahoma. And that's the amazing part because she's from there. It's, I mean, she's the the girl next door. Yeah. She just happened to be a K-pop artist too. The U.S., in a way, Europe as well, but the U.S. is quite divided in many ways, politically, for example. How do you think uh, the American Song Contest will play into this? A lot of the discussions around this have been there, like, you know, you, you, you just can't say that a state is one thing because it's not. Every state is diverse. Every state has a lot of different types of music. And uh, you're referring to Grant Knocky. He's amazing. He's a pop guy. He's really modern. And it's, it's such a good, he's good. Are the songs going to come out like in between the first and the eighth show? Or when will people be able to listen to all of those tracks? A little bit of the songs you can hear, uh, like 30 seconds is allowed to play already, I think. 
I don't think it's released quite yet. Quite yet? Soon. Okay, but very soon they will be able to play like a little bit, a snippet of the song. But the, the full song will be re released on the evening of the show. So one show at a time. Yeah. Where next? What about a Brazilian song contest? <laughs> We'd love to do that. Right now we're totally focused on this one, but sure. I want the whole world to be yes, a worldwide song contest. Yeah, that's... and I'm 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 getting really used to the the warm climate. So yeah, Brazil. I'd love to do Brazil, <laughs> but this one is challenging enough to begin with, and it's going to be so awesome yeah. in two weeks when the first the... show is on the air. It it will be great. Thank you very much, both to you, Anders and Krista. Let's talk about the show's structure a little bit. I mean, it's been sort of set in stone, you know, 60-odd years in Europe. Do you know if there's been any sort of tweaks other than sort of stretching it out, which is, you might say, kind of a good old American tradition? I mean, there's not necessarily going to be more music. I suppose I suppose there's sort of heats and things like that. But do you, do you know if the show structure's been messed around with other than it just being longer, Fernando? I think you'll be slightly different because, as you said, Rob, it will take a little bit longer because there will be, uh, you know, three qualifying rounds, a semi-final. We do have semi-final for the Eurovision, but, you know, it is a little bit stretched because the final will also be in May, a few days before uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, which I was quite surprised that they're keeping it, you know... Uh, such a close uh, to each other in a way. Uh, perhaps it would be a better idea uh, in the future to be a little bit kind of distant, maybe keep everything March, April and leave May just for the Eurovision Song Contest. But yeah, it, you know, maybe there, there's a kind of a, a business side to it that there'll be more ads on television and, and perhaps more kind of revenues. I have a feeling that could be it as well. So yeah, slightly different format as well. An interesting choice also about the hosts, I have to say. Two very charismatic names. And even Kelly Clark, so I have to say, what I like about her, she has a, some sort of chaotic energy about her, you know? she's. <laughs> I, I think she would enjoy She would enjoy very much being the host of, of the American Song Contest. Yeah, Emily, what, what do you think? I mean, we'll come on to the hosts. Again, as Fernando says, great individual chemistry. Are they a great meeting of minds, Emily? <laughs> I think they, they could be. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting combination. But I, I love you say Kelly Clarkson has kind of chaotic energy because I don't know if that's something I, how I would have described her maybe a few years ago. But ever since she started this new daily talk show, that is exactly what she is like. And it's really hard to launch a talk show here. And she has done it kind of really smoothly and people really like her. So I think that combined with her years on The Voice, um, she's so good at live TV. I think her hosting skills are just getting better. Like she's kind of the perfect person for this. Plus the fact that, you know, obviously she was our first American idol. People still feel this really strong connection to her because we kind of feel like we brought her from like unknown singer to the superstar. And yeah, um, I think she and Snoop Dogg will probably click really well. Like when he does this kind of thing, it sort of seems like he's sort of brought in for the comic relief. So I could see them um, balancing each other out in a, in a really great way. Yeah, kind of d very different kind of energy, but you've got two kind of professional musicians, I suppose, and one with obviously a big reality TV background or talent show background. I sort of feel even if it doesn't quite work, that will be very, very attractive to social media anyway, in its own kind of way, because there is something in the spirit of the Eurovision Song Contest. It's exceptionally kind of 
slick in terms of all the satellite link-ups and all the rest of it across what was the sort of nascent you know European Union and before the European Union it was a great way of kind of bidding peace and showing off what you could do with satellites but the actual presenting is sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, which is for, for us Europeans, I suppose, one of its joys. Are you going to be able to handle that, Emily, the, the, the kind of drop, the mic drop moments? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I look forward to as well. And I mean, I love that it's going to be, I mean, live TV, like this is one of my favorite things for those moments exactly. I think that, yeah, the audiences that will only drive kind of live viewing, knowing that literally anything could happen. It might be really awkward, but um, those are the kind of things I think that are going to get this show a lot of attention. So Fernando, you brought up earlier in our conversation the idea of the voting. In the Eurovision Song Contest, we have the performances and then we kind of have a lot of breaks and then we kind of come back and we have the voting. I kind of often like the voting more than the the performances because not only do you see sort of really wonderfully cliched backdrops of the Eiffel Tower and Big Ben and whatever it is, you see some amazing kind of shiny suits and glittery dresses, right? But also you get to see the real politics of of Europe uh, in, in action. So you can tell us a little bit about this, but I mean, Greece always votes for Cyprus, etc. You know, what's that like? How do we draw out the tension and what are some of the amusing kind of voting allegiances in the Eurovision Song Contest? I've been thinking about it. What would be interesting, the voting when it comes to the American Song Contest? Of course, real politics come to mind. You know, I think Emily mentioned that, you know, the US can be also a divided country, Democrats, Republicans. I wonder if there will be any sort of reflection when you look at the voting patterns. But I have a feeling that it might not, you know, because we were talking about Texas as well. I mean, their entry, I mean, it's not countries, pure pop. It's a guy called Grant Gnosis. Uh, so as I said, I don't I don't think they followed the stereotype. So for example, you know, uh, Texas does, didn't send a country track, for example. Uh, Garth Brooks has not been asked to, to, to sort of turn up to this time around. <laughs> exactly. So it would be quite interesting. And it also probably give me the opportunity to discover some American states that I have that I don't know much about it. For example, Minnesota. I quite like actually their band. It's kind of a cute indie pop band called Yum House. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe next time I visit the US I'll go to Minnesota. Who knows? Well Prince and Iggy Pop can't be wrong, right? That's you've got it's got some good DNA there. Exactly. So here here I go <laughs> there. So I think it would be a good opportunity. It's the same with Eurovision. I'm like, oh, what? Moldova has some good folk music. Maybe I should visit, for example. So, Emily, with that in mind, as we said, Cyprus and Greece and various people always sort of vote for each other. Sometimes near neighbours are obviously directly in competition. Sometimes they are sort of singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. In terms of, as we say, as we are sadly in Europe at the moment, seemingly kind of divided. But in the United States, who are the allegiances likely to be, can, can you imagine, in a sort of lighthearted way without trying to draw, draw swords here? <laughs> I feel like the West Coast could band together because the West Coast always feels like very left out of these kind of shows. Because I don't know if they've said exactly how the voting is going to work, but um, there is always kind of some tension just the way time zones work. You know, uh, the West Coast is three hours behind the East Coast. So sometimes you know, West Coast viewers don't get a chance. I could see maybe some sort of bond forming there. I think, again, country music will probably be a big one. Um, Then maybe some of the Southern and Midwestern states try to push those artists. And um, yeah, I mean, the East Coast, 
that that will be, I think, more interesting. I don't know if I could see like DC, New York, like all you know, kind of forming together. But yeah, I, I feel like this could be the West Coast time to shine after years of feeling kind of neglected by how the time zones work in these voting competitions. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, actually. I mean, it's something that we kind of, I guess, we don't think of so much in Europe, or rather, it's built into the idea of it that that, that seems to be sort of uh, slightly different to that to that US idea. I wanted to come before we finish, both of you. You know, the, as we said, the, Euro, the Eurovision Song Contest. We sort of said it glibly in the introduction, but it was a kind of it was a the sort of campus peacekeeping mission known to man kind of thing. But there is definitely truth in that. That was one of the reasons why it was done, as as well as to test sort of the nascent technology of satellite television and all the rest of it. Fernando, can you see this sort of being a cultural glue for a United States that does seem? from time to time and sadly kind of quite constantly at the moment driven by differences in politics you know what i think so because please emily correct me if i'm wrong but i think like many countries even my own brazil i think when you're inside a country people they judge they have so many stereotypes with themselves usually negative ones you know they'll say oh people from this state they are kind of so backwards and and it's not necessarily the case and i and i think Eurovision can prove that and there will be fascinating stories behind the characters as well for example you know I'm just mentioning because it is a really interesting list from Indiana we have a hip-hop artist he was born actually in in Uganda Uh, do you know what I mean so I think there's different backstories you know and hopefully they will avoid some of the stereotypes as well do you see this as a a sort of uh, pan-American peacekeeping mission in a glittery jacket, Emily? Do you think it can t- do the job that that no politician seems able to? I know. I was thinking about this too because you know, things are, seem really bad right now. However, there is something um, to, yeah, to what you were just saying. I think the backstories of these contestants are going to be really important because if there is someone that kind of captures everybody, I could definitely see that happening. Just everybody, you know, kind of coming together to root for certain contestants that they they really connect with. And that is definitely something that our singing competition shows really lean into sometimes too much is like either the tragic backstory or or sharing something really, or the contestants sharing something really personal. So I think making that connection could actually, yeah, cross state lines and and even maybe political lines and kind of bring people together. And that's, that's one reason I'm I'm excited about this show. I mean, there is something about kind of in the old school, like broadcast TV, primetime singing competition that you just don't see a lot anymore since everyone is so spread out watching 1 million different shows. And I think the other thing I wanted to mention when you're talking about camp, the one show that does do that is The Masked Singer, but that is so crazy that I think this is definitely a more like family-friendly kind of show that um, everyone can watch and feel good about rather than kind of like waiting to see who's going to be unmasked and it could be someone that you are not a fan of. Yeah, yeah. That's the exactly the, the phrase for it, isn't it? This is feel-good TV. That's That was always kind of what it was meant to be. Just finally, do you think as Fernando sort of suggested, there are kind of gimmicky songs that sometimes do well in the Eurovision Song Contest. There are big syrupy ballads, but they always have to have a good t- tune to them. Is there a sort of a sort of song? I mean, I feel that it's very sad that Meat Loaf passed away a few weeks ago because he would have absolutely nailed this, right? I wondered if there's a sort of pomp rock or if there is, or whether it's a sort of like something in hip-hop or country is there a genre emily at the moment you think is the kind of lingua franca of america that that would just storm it 
Well, rap and hip hop sort of are our biggest, it's our, those are our biggest genres right now. Um, so I could see those kind of songs doing really well, depending on the viewers that watch, um, just on other competition shows, big country ballads also tend to really take off. I mean, I think there's always been the idea that people from Southern and Midwestern states like watch these shows more often. So I think that's why you do see so many country singers be successful after them. Yeah, for some reason, ballads, I think, could be the thing that everybody like kind of connects to the most. I wouldn't be surprised to see some slow song, just someone just really nailing it and then it just blowing up on the streaming and iTunes charts the next day. Yeah, well, we've got Michael Bolton there, so... You know, Fernando, you're going to be tuning in. Absolutely. I think uh, I'm so excited actually for that. I want to know what, what is Cisco going to do? What about Macy Gray and, and Alexa, you know, the Oklahoman kind of K-pop artists? I'm, uh, I'm curious. I'm very curious. <laughs> well, Fernando, we're, just go- we, we're all going to have to just wait and see. It's wonderful talking to you both. Thank you very much. It's great to get the lowdown from both of you on American Song Contest. And that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Emily Yar and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And American Song Contest premieres on Monday, March the 21st at 8pm on NBC. Monocle and Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph chong and Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.